0: Welcome to UNews, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, January 4th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. President Trump captured on a phone call attempting to overturn the election results in the state of Georgia as more Republicans join an effort to object to the Electoral College results. And with 16 days before Inauguration Day, a stunning message from all 10 former living secretaries of defense urging the nation and lawmakers to accept that Joe Biden is the legitimate winner of the 2020 presidential election. And with more than 350,000 Americans now dead from COVID-19, growing frustration about the vaccine rollout in the United States, a look at the delays and what's being done to address them. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom, in Miami. Today we begin with that stunning phone call between President Trump and Georgia's Secretary of State. In audio obtained by the Washington Post, you can hear the president's rambling and outright pressuring one state official to overturn election results. The stunning recording of President Trump, in his own words, pressuring the Georgia Secretary of State to overturn the election results in an audio obtained by the Washington Post.
1: So look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state, and flipping the state is a great testament to our country because you know, and there's, there's, there's just a, it's a testament that they can admit to a mistake or whatever you want to call it if it was a mistake. I don't know. A lot of people think it wasn't a mistake.
0: Trump repeated baseless claims of voter fraud and attacked Brad Raffensperger for refusing to say he won the contest in Georgia that he lost. That conversation lasted an hour.
1: And the people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that you know, uh, that you've recalculated because uh, the 2,236 and absentee ballots, I mean, they're, they're all exact numbers that were, were done by accounting firms, law firms, etc. And even if you cut them in half, cut them in half, and cut them in half again, it's more votes than we need.
2: Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong.
0: Raffensperger, a Republican and Trump supporter, has overseen multiple recounts and audits of the election in Georgia. In that conversation, Trump falsely stating he won Georgia by hundreds of thousands of votes, when in reality, Biden won the state by nearly 12,000 votes. The president's conversation happening after weeks of slamming Georgia election officials, Republicans and Democrats alike outraged.
3: Uh, that phone call did
2: absolutely nothing to help uh, you know, drive turnout for Republicans here in Georgia for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. It was inappropriate, and uh, it certainly did not help the situation.
0: At a drive-in rally ahead of Georgia's Senate runoff races, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris weighed in on the audio.
3: Well, it was, yes, certainly the voice
4: of desperation, most certainly that. And it was a bald, bald-faced, bold, Abuse of power by the president of the United States.
0: Trump is set to head to Georgia later today for campaign events, supporting the two Republican candidates, Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. This one day before the end of the voting that will determine whether Democrats take control of the Senate. Some legal experts say the president may have violated laws that prohibit election interference, but charges are unlikely. Biden's team is now calling this recording irrefutable proof that the president is trying to overturn the election. Meanwhile, nearly a dozen Republican senators and 140 House Republicans say they will reject electoral college votes from multiple states when Congress meets to certify the results on Wednesday. This, as a stunning new message, is published by all 10 living former secretaries of defense. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin.
5: That's right, Andrea. Congress started a new term on Sunday, and many new lawmakers come to Washington between tensions that are likely to dominate the nation's capital over the next two weeks. The focus is over what could happen in Congress next Wednesday when the Senate is scheduled to validate the Electoral College vote. As we speak, Andrea, there are 140 Republicans in the House and 12 Republican senators, led by Ted Cruz, who are planning to vote against the certification of Joe Biden win until Congress launches a 10-day audit of the 2020 election based on President Trump's baseless allegations of voting fraud. Now, experts claim those plans are not going to stop Biden and Harris from taking the oath on January 20th, but many fear for what President Trump could do. That's why many are taking action. For example, all 10 living former U.S. Secretaries of Defense took the unusual step of co-signing a letter saying that the election is over. The letter is a direct message to Congress to certify the Electoral College vote on Wednesday. Even though the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff has told Congress that the military won't intervene in any election dispute, the bipartisan former group of ex-secretaries expressed concern and want the Department of Defense to refrain from any political actions. They also made clear that the letter was necessary because President Trump is following an unconstitutional path. But Andrea, going back to Capitol Hill, new members of Congress were spotted today taking their official photo on the steps of the U.S. Capitol, that after being thrown in yesterday. During that session, Nancy Pelosi was re-elected by a small margin as the Speaker of the House of the 117th Congress. Take a listen.
2: We begin this new Congress during a time of extraordinary difficulty. Each of our communities has been drastically, drastically affected uh, by the pandemic and its economic crisis. 350,000 tragic deaths. We sadly carry them in our hearts.
5: Over 20- And Democrats kept control of the House in the November election, but now will have a narrow majority. Meanwhile, on the Senate floor, Vice President Mike Pence administered the oath to the new and reelected senators. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you and Happy New Year to you.
0: Likewise, Edwin. Thanks so much. Lots of things going on in Washington, D.C. Take care. In other major news we're following today, Iran has restarted uranium enrichment, aiming for a 20 percent target, a government spokesman said today. The resumption of the enrichment process, if confirmed, would breach the nuclear deal negotiated between Iran and the international community implemented in 2016. That agreement froze Iran's nuclear program in return for a progressive lifting of international sanctions. Iran currently enriches its uranium stockpile up to around 4.5 percent, which is above the 3.67 percent cap imposed by the 2015 nuclear deal, but far short of the 90 percent that is considered weapons grade. Iran has continually denied its intent to assemble nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has suddenly reversed course and says it will now keep a U.S. aircraft carrier group in the Middle East. Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller says the USS Nimitz will remain in the Persian Gulf region due to Iranian threats. Sunday marks the one-year anniversary of the drone strike that killed Iranian General Soleimani. Miller says there are threats to President Trump and U.S. officials but did not provide specifics. Earlier, the acting secretary had ordered the aircraft carrier to leave the area in a move some thought would de-escalate tensions. The Nimitz has spent more than 10 months in that region supporting troop withdrawals in Afghanistan. And back to Washington. President Trump is awarding the Medal of Freedom to two congressmen, who defended him during the impeachment hearings. Today, the president will place the Medal of Freedom around the neck of Representative Devin Nunes of California. Nunes is the ranking Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio will also receive the medal next week. Jordan defended Trump during the Russia investigation and has been supporting efforts in the House to challenge the election results. The White House has been inundated with requests for Medal of Freedom ceremonies as the Trump administration enters It's final days. The coronavirus pandemic now officially entering its second year. The US seen as predicted the worst surge in cases so far and hospitals more overwhelmed now than ever before. Meanwhile, a post holiday surge expected in the coming weeks and the distribution of vaccines moving slower than planned. Lorraine Caceres has the latest.
4: Around the country, states bracing for a surge upon a surge. We're averaging
1: two to 3,000 deaths per day. When an event occurs, like the Christmas and New Year's holiday, you usually have a couple of week lag before you see an additional uptick of cases, which is always followed by hospitalizations
5: and deaths.
4: People defying CDC recommendations not to travel, airlines reporting 14 million passengers hit the skies in the past two weeks, New York reaching a million cases, as the NYPD busted two New Year's Eve parties with hundreds in attendance. On the West Coast, California seeing the worst of
2: it. What's happening in Los Angeles can and will be coming to many communities across America.
4: The U.S. has now reported more than 20 million cases of coronavirus and deaths surpassing 350,000. But the president still questioning the seriousness of the pandemic, stating the numbers are an exaggeration. Tweeting the number of cases and deaths of the China virus is far exaggerated in the United States because of CDC's ridiculous method of determination compared to other countries, many of whom report purposely very inaccurately and low. When in doubt, call it COVID, fake news. Public health officials responding, setting the record straight.
1: Well, the, the deaths are real deaths. I mean, all you need to do is to go out into the trenches, go to the hospitals, see what the health care workers are dealing with. They are under very stressed situations in many areas of the country. The hospital beds are stretched. People are running out of beds, running out of trained personnel who are exhausted right now. That's real. That's not fake. That's real. From from a public health perspective, I have no reason to doubt those numbers, and I think people need to be very aware that it's not just about the deaths, as we talked about earlier. It's about the hospitalizations, the capacity. These cases are having an impact in an array of ways. And people need to understand that there's a finish line in sight, but we've got to keep running towards it.
4: Meanwhile, shipping delays and lack of funding making the already complicated task of vaccine distribution even harder as Americans around the country line up in hopes of a dose.
1: Tremendously frustrating in the last four or five days. I've been trying to get a spot and you can't, can't get a spot. It should be working for more and more people and it should have been a lot quicker.
4: The CDC reporting more than four million people have been vaccinated, far fewer than the goal of 20 million by the end of 2020, set by Operation Warp Speed.
1: We are available and ready to help the states as they ask specifically for help. We will go and help them there. I don't think it's possible for the federal government to be able to say, you know, we should send vaccine to this particular location. So that's that's the point we're making.
4: Dr. Slowey and Operation Warp Speed are now considering using the remaining doses of the Moderna vaccine to vaccinate more people instead of saving those doses for a second dose for people that already had the vaccine administered days ago. Now, this is something that Dr. Anthony Fauci has strongly advised against. Meanwhile, the UK has approved the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine, which is among all the vaccines approved, the cheapest one to produce and also the easiest one to store. Andrea, back to you.
0: Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And as the vaccine rollout continues in the U.S., a large number of eligible healthcare workers are refusing to get the vaccine. A recent survey by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that nearly a third of healthcare workers probably or definitely will refuse vaccination. Joining us now is Dr. Sujan Gogu. He's a family physician in Harlingen, Texas. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Gogu. Welcome and happy new year.
2: Thank you so much, Andrea. Happy New Year to you as well.
0: Thank you. Doctor, talk to us about what you're seeing among other healthcare workers and that vaccine. Does that number, a third refusing to get vaccinated, sound accurate to you?
2: Yeah, I can speak uh, for the Rio Grande Valley. You know, two of the major health systems that we have over here, we've had uh, about 60% of healthcare workers willing to take the vaccine. And 40 percent reject it. And so those numbers are entirely accurate that you're stating.
0: Now, why exactly is it that these healthcare workers don't want to get vaccinated?
2: Well, there's a lot of different factors, you know, some are that are reasonable. You know, I can understand if, if you want to talk about science and state, well, pregnant women and breastfeeding women, there's not really enough research. Although I do advocate for uh, that population to take the vaccine. Um, there's just not you know, that much um, that's rooted in science. I mean, you can look at the African-American population and to some extent the Latino population, and some of the people that I've spoken to, they just feel like there's no transparency between the pharmaceutical companies or the research companies or the government sometimes. And, you know, um, they don't really trust the research with that, which, you know, they have an issue with it. And then sometimes, you know, I've heard, well, you know, the, the population, we feel like we're guinea pigs. And, um, you know, it's just I've heard so many so much misinformation and so much conspiracy theories that kind of roll around this, that it's, it's just deeply frustrating as a healthcare worker trying to tackle this and not only that, trying to help our patients.
0: Now, as a result of this, like you said, it's an issue that needs to be tackled. How are hospitals trying to break through vaccine hesitancy among these healthcare workers and just people in general?
2: You know, you know I can speak for healthcare workers uh, themselves. You know, um, I'm part of a coalition of twenty three thousand healthcare advocates who really tried to elevate our voice through like a viral grassroots social media campaign called hashtag# this is our and, you know, that's reached more about 59 million impressions across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so we've been trying to really use social media. I know locally we've been trying to host, you know, many town halls, um, a group that I'm part of, Doctors and Politics. We host a town hall almost every Tuesday for 15 minutes, just trying to educate as many people. I know many other physicians in their communities are just trying to do this the same and trying to have one-on-one conversations with people they know, or just host town halls or do whatever they can to advocate.
0: You are on the front lines of this pandemic in the Rio Grande Valley region in Texas, an area with a majority Latino population. So what are you seeing at the hospitals that you work at? How are hospitals there handling the surge and perhaps what may be coming during the next couple of weeks?
2: Well, I can tell you, we're definitely afraid. You know, I can speak on last Thursday. I think our hospital was at 100 percent capacity, and we had 17 patients that really needed to be admitted um, to the hospital. And so, we're starting to see that surge where our, our beds are getting full. And and I, you know, I'm just I just get afraid that you know we will not have the enough uh, healthcare personnel to take care of the surge um, because many other areas are grappling with this as well. And so it's very difficult to, um, to, to, to get um, emergency help, um, such as the reserves and so forth, that we did get um, in the prior surge.
0: In a nutshell, we are still not out of the woods. Thank you so much, Dr. Sujan Gogu in southern Texas for your time. Please take care.
2: Thank you, Andrea. Take care.
0: Thank you. In other news, direct stimulus payments from the federal government have begun arriving to tens of millions of residents across the country. But as Gianni Aponte explains, there are hard hit groups of people who may never receive that assistance.
6: The $600 economic stimulus checks have already arrived in the hands of some U.S. workers. I received it yesterday. It's in my bank account and it's stored there. It's a help for the expenses, the bills. But in Pedro's case, he won't get this federal assistance even when he pays taxes using his individual taxpayer identification number. Because we're not legal in this country. I believe that's why we don't get it. But it's good that they give it to the people because that's where the work comes from, when people get that check. The bill approved by Congress excludes undocumented people and their children from receiving the stimulus. The people who will not receive it, as the previous time, are those who do not have a valid work permit. Children reported as dependents who are 17 or older, as well as college students who are claimed as dependents by their parents, will also not qualify for the $600. Individuals with an annual income above $87,000, couples making above $150,000 annually, seniors and disabled dependents. Older adults and disabled people who are claimed as dependents will not receive help either. According to this tax expert, you can claim the stimulus with your tax return. On this year's tax reforms, there is a section dedicated to this year's refund. Remember that the economic stimulus can come to you through a direct deposit or as a check or a debit card by mail. Reported by Viviana Avila, this is Gianni Aponte for U News.
0: More of U News after this short break. Welcome back to U News.
3: U.S. immigration authorities continue to deport women with their babies after giving birth in local hospitals, shortly after being detained at the border. Migrant advocacy organizations such as Al Otro Lado have documented cases of express deportation even though children born in local hospitals are already U.S. citizens. Sandra is a Mexican citizen and is one of the women who crossed the border and gave birth. A few hours later, she was returned to Mexico without the opportunity to obtain a birth certificate for her son.
4: Minutes after I gave birth, it wasn't even an hour later
3: or the next day. If they were thinking of deporting me anyway, why not do it from the detention center? But they did it from the very hospital. Sandra said she was immediately taken to the Mexican consulate and then to the Mexican territory without the right to consult an attorney. I left the hospital with a gown and they took me to the patrol car. Other cases of pregnant women who have been immediately deported to prevent their children from being born on U.S. soil have also been documented by other organizations in Mexico. They are brought back pregnant so they can deliver in Mexico. Under the pretext of the pandemic, the Trump administration hardened its immigration policy by immediately expelling immigrants arrested at the border. The U.S. government is using a national emergency to implement a program that they always wanted to implement, to deport immigrants immediately. However, a judge ordered the government in November to stop deporting unaccompanied migrant children without allowing them to make refugee or asylum claims.
6: The law says that a
3: person who is seeking asylum, who comes knocking on the door here, has to be let in.
2: Of course he can be detained, but he
3: also has the opportunity to handle his case from the inside, not from the outside. This is Andrew Pena, U News.
0: Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate and review, and join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.